stop bullying and shouting at the lower orders? Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout and shout again! This is Shot and Shield. Shield. Listening in Athens, Greece, Dublin, Ireland and Brentwood, Tennessee. I am your parliamentarian of the podcast, your colonel of the colonials, the Grand Duke Scott of the Duchy of Florida. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast, the podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming with a pinch of pulp and an iota of imagination wargaming. This Shot and Shield Supercast is brought to you by XPForge.com, my source for 3D printed terrain buildings and now 28 millimeter Napoleonic figures and various scaled military vehicles. And for you, the Shot and Shield listener, 15% off through December 31st. Use the coupon code SHOP15 for 15% off your order. That's the coupon code SHOP15 to save 15%. Go now and check it out. Do it. XPForge.com. All right, Marines. Eyes punt. In this installment of the Shot and Shield Supercast, I am joined by Ian Klusky and Colin Hodgson for a roundtable discussion about wargaming the Indian Mutiny of 1857, plus miniatures, painting, and their killer game at Partisan, and their upcoming Cowpore project. In my Scenario Builder segment, I drop a scenario on you called The Anarchist. Be prepared for a lot of morale rolls. Later, I dig into the audio desert for another audio archaeological find, a treat for you from the works of Kipling. Also, I'm looking for us to share a watch-along from the 1960 classic The Alamo with John Wayne and Richard Woodmark. More about this later when I reveal the results of the top five question for this episode. I will also unveil the winner of my personal 28mm British Grenadier Guard giveaway from last episode. I have a new top 10 question, your emails answered, and I'm going to break down and bullet point the Indian Mutiny of 1857. As we game the mutiny today, that's next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Hurry ho, tip, tip, and burn your uncle. From the land of the audio to the world of the visual, the Shot and Shield podcast is on YouTube. I use YouTube for supplementary information, such as watch-along videos, documentaries of interest, movies that I find that uh, best represent colonial or 19th century inspirations or gaming, and eventually video from interviews that I've uh, already done and that you've heard on the podcast. Just search out, in parentheses, Shot and Shield. You got to put the parentheses in there, parentheses, Shot and Shield, and parentheses, and you'll find it on the YouTube. There's also a link on the podcast info page. So check it out and subscribe to Shot and Shield on YouTube. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. This is Shot and Shield. Thank you for continuing to listen to Shot and Shield. And the Shot and Shield Supercast is brought to you by XPForge.com. This has been my source for 3D printed terrain and buildings. And as you know from other episodes or my pictures I have posted, I love to scratch build. But when I need some items for my buildings to just pop, I go to XPForge.com. I'm not allowed to carve styrofoam in my place. I got this apartment thing going on. So I picked up some really well detailed rocky outcrops from XPForge.com. I also picked up some really nice 28 millimeter camels for my colonial Russians. I'm scratch building the cavalry of Russian cameliers, and I found the perfect camels 
through xpforge.com. There's so many little detail things that I picked up from XP Forge to help my Central Asia project just go pow, that I'm really excited that I found xpforge.com. They're sponsored today's Supercast. Don't think that uh, they're doing this just out of kindness. Or I asked them. I said, look, I love you guys. Can you help me out here? Let's do this. Tim said, absolutely. Because I was a fan of these guys before they sponsored the show. I got the receipts. I'll show them. Right now, XPForge.com has these uh, 28 millimeter Napoleonic figures. Tim at XPForge is absolutely killing me right now because I have this other project I'm working on. And I see these figures and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> they look good. They look good. So you have to check it out, xpforge.com. Just great 3D printing, great prices, and for you, the Shot and Shield listener, 15% off through December 31st. Use the coupon code SHOT15 for 15% off your order. That's the coupon code SHOT15 to save 15%. Go now. Check it out, xpforge.com. When you're back in England with a fleet again, you'll hear the hue and cry against me. From now on, they'll spell mutiny with my name. So let me get into it. The Indian Mutiny of 1857. This was a major uprising in India from 1857 to 58, up against the rule of the British East India Company. The Indian Rebellion was triggered by resentments over several circumstances, such as imposed Victorian social reforms, harsh land taxes, biased treatment from the rich landowners and princes, plus skepticism about what real improvements were made by the British during their rule. So the rebellion began in May of 1857 in the form of a mutiny from the Sepoys of the British East India Company's army in uh, Meerut near Delhi, which I think I'm saying that correctly, but if not, don't kill me. Regardless, it then erupted into other mutinies and civilian rebellions all over India. Obviously, I'm oversimplifying this because the details have filled hundreds and hundreds of books. And this is just a quick look for the purpose of introduction for those not familiar. Now, coming up, I got Ian and Colin, and we're going to have this roundtable discussion regarding the Indian Mutiny and the bu about a bunch of other things. And I've asked them to put some reading material on the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group on Facebook. I've pinned it. It's there. Check it out if you want to get more into the details, the nuts and bolts of everything that has to do with the Indian Mutiny of 1857. Now, as far as gaming the Indian Mutiny... I think it's essential to look at the military arm of the British East India Company as less like trained regulars, but more like well-trained militia led by ex-British army mercenaries. You also had the mutineers who were joined by peasants and rogue sultanates looking to increase their power, whereas the British East India Company were joined by other sultanates bent on maintaining their power through association with the British Empire. There are several companies that carry a line of Indian Mutiny figures. War Games Foundry, Iron Duke, Empress, Redoubt, just to name a few. And I think this conflict has a lot of legs to it because you don't always have to play large games. There are several scenario ideas that I can think of just off the top of my head. There are skirmish level, small level, medium level, outside of the big monster games that you can play. There are other elements you can include and incorporate into your gaming of the Indian Mutiny as well, such as the effects of heat, or disease on troops, run-ins with tigers, cobras, elephants, especially during skirmish gaming, right? <laughs> and there's also a chance that your, that your Indian troops might turn on you and join the other side. Imagine trying to roll the dice on that. And lastly, you also find the painting can be very entertaining. Big bright colors and variants in similar stock uniforms. As a painter, busting out an assembly line of all of the same khaki can, be, can make one brain dead, right? 
So when you get when you get faced with all those bright colors, it's really, really nice. So that's my nuts and bolts look at gaming the Indian Mutiny of 1857. As I said earlier, I asked Ian and Colin, our Indian Mutiny experts, to put up some must-have reading on the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group on Facebook. They did. It's pinned. And now that I've broken down a few elements of gaming the Indian Mutiny, let's bring in our experts, Ian and Colin, for a roundtable discussion about this very subject and much more. That's next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Ah, ah, honor is satisfied. God clearly preserves you for greatness. Does your home have tile, stone, or grout? It needs to be sealed right now. Don't wait. Because if you do, then you're asking yourself to have stains and buildup all up in there. You can stop stains and buildup. Protect your tile, stone, and grout with Miracle Sealants 511. That's Miracle Sealants 511 by Rustolia. Pick it up today at your local Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, or wherever Rustolium is sold. So stop being lazy. You have a tile project you're planning? Miracle Sealant 511. Pick it up today on your way home. This is Shot and Shield. Well, I'm waiting for an explanation. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming. It looks bad in the newspapers and upset civilians at their breakfast. This is Shot and Shield. Thank you for continuing to listen to the Shot Shield Supercast. Joining me today on the Shot Shield Supercast is Ian Klusky and Colin Hodgson. Hodgins? Hodgson. Hobson. Hodgson. Hodgson. Okay. Hodgson. You know, I'm American. <laughs> We're all dumb over here. We don't know it's how to read. Cumbrian, it's a Cumbrian name. It's a <laughs> North of England name. Colin Hodgson. Hodgson. That's it. So we got Colin with us. <laughs> and I can't speak at this time in the morning, let alone English. Uh, so if you're asking who are these guys, then you're not paying attention. Both of these men have some of the best looking painting, uh, painted miniatures and terrain in the world. There is not a picture that goes up on any of our war game uh, Facebook groups that I don't fawn over like a little girl at a Beatles concert. Ian runs uh, the war gaming in India 1600 to 1920 Facebook group where you can see most of uh, Ian and Colin's amazing work. So gentlemen, welcome to Shot and Shield, the Supercast. Thank you. Thanks. That's uh, very kind. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I have to tell you that when uh, I get on Facebook and I see your guys' stuff, it really is. uh, You guys do a great job. It is quite amazing. And um, that's not faint praise at all. That's real good stuff. Uh, the Every time wow. I see it, I go, man, what are they guys? They're, they're killing me right now because I, I might as well just hang it up. You know, it's, a you fabulous guys... group. it's a fabulous group that Ian has created. And um, I take a lot of inspiration as well from some of the other fabulous painters on there. It's, it's you know, I, I, I see some work that somebody's done. I think, oh, wow, you know, I, I need to find out about how that's been done so I can have a go at the same. So it's a learning process all the time for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm still learning for all I've been doing for 40 odd years. 
And I, I absolutely agree with Colin there. And of course, uh, his work with, with Clay Early Doors has really inspired me to uh, get using that on, on mine. And of course, his painting is, is, is stunning. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's quite a, I think there's a fair degree of mutual appreciation on the group in terms of what goes up and, um, you know, why you're doing that, how you're doing that sort of thing. Why India? Ian and I will have two different responses to that. I don't know if you want to go first, Ian. Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, I uh, uh, India. Uh, I've been to India a couple of times now. I know Colin's been too, but uh, they were sort of rooted in a, in a book I picked up a little a good while ago uh, by Shelford Bidwell about sorts for hire in uh, European mercenaries in the sort of from the 1780s through to about 1800. And the kind of boys' own lifestyles and uh, adventures they uh, they had out there, self-made blokes really, uh, not all of them nice chaps either. Um, and uh, so I sort of I've started I've been putting I've had several Indian armies and I've painted them, sold them, painted them, sold them, and then I've finally settled on a kind of thing I want to do there. And uh, and then when I've been out in India um, on holidays uh, in the north of India mostly. Uh, it, uh, it it has given me quite a context and uh, and been very inspired by what I've seen too. And I suppose I kind of fell in love with the place and the the history of it and uh, trying to duplicate that on the table. You know, um, for me, the routine to in India and Indian mutiny was it was born out of that first moment I saw the uh, Iron um, Iron Duke's miniatures figures when they were first came on the scene. Um, I. I was blown away by what I was seeing. The 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 Paul Hicks sculpts uh, were nothing like I'd seen before in terms of their accuracy, the detail. And then I I, I bought into Mike Snook's whole uh, vision of what he was looking to do. He wanted to recreate the Allahabad movable column in all its detail. So you had individual regiments represented in their unique uniforms. Um, you had the um, the camels, the elephants, the the, the carts, um, everything, it all came together. And I just thought that, that this is what I wanted to re recreate in miniature. This is fabulous. So that's what got me. I'm always drawn into a particular theatre or period by the quality of the sculpts. And for me, this was what got me into Indian Mutiny, the Iron Duke miniatures. This particular episode of Shot and Shield, which, I mean, we deal with colonial 19th century uh, wargaming. The installment here is, and this roundtable discussion with Ian and Colin, really is one to discuss the Indian mutiny of, eight, of uh, 1857. So let me ask, uh, let me ask you first, uh, Colin. It's my experience that they try to find a, a series. So like, for instance, you know, American Civil War, you got four years to work with, several battles, several different uh, types of units because there's that four-year span people seem to gravitate to these larger conflicts napoleon civil war american civil war world war ii mm. you're talking indian mutinies one year it's one it's it's one year okay and you were just talking about uh the miniatures and the inspiration uh to jump into this particular conflict in this conflict if you were going to be historical, how many interactions are you going to have between uh, the British uh, East Indian Company and uh, the mutineers? Well, I think, um, I mean, going back to your, your, your point about 
uh, it's only a year as against four years. I think to represent something on a table that looks nice in detail, you can't recreate the American Civil War on a table and 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 have the Ford, you know, the uniforms changed over the years, etc. So it's about trying to capture just a moment in time for me, and and that whole conflict with that movable column is crying out for a, a, a small um, campaign. Um, it's just perfect for gamers because you're only talking about five um, European, well, not all European regiments because there was the Ferozepore regiment as well. Right. Uh, but you've got five unique regiments. It's a finite force. You're having to work with that force and you may have conflicting goals. You know, you, uh, Havelock was presented with a, a major problem. He's trying to, he's trying to get to save these civilians at Kompor and Lucknow, but um He's, he's got a stretch an overstretched communication line his flanks have been threatened constantly he hasn't got enough cavalry to protect his flanks his baggage uh, for scouting um it's it's there's just a whole load of really difficult command and decision uh problems for him and 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 the the, the it's not helped by the fact that uh, sometimes his his forces are, are are split and divided, then you throw into that mix um, the, the personalities and the potential conflict within those personalities. It's just made for a perfect uh, um, f- uh, campaign or game. And I don't think it's important that you try and recreate the whole uh, Indian mutiny. There's, there's, there's plenty of gaming potential, even just around uh, the likes of Kampur, where there was three or four ongoing conflicts around around that, that that one station so ian would you like to expand uh well uh, colin's the leading light on the mutiny really i mean uh, i i'd have to say really that looking at his mutiny stuff some while ago is what uh, what inspired me to have a double with mutiny so um i'd echo everything he said oh, the personalities i mean you've got the very best and the very worst of uh, of British gentry out there, uh, you know, with all sorts of uh, angsts and uh, agendas, um, not all of them particularly uh, attractive ones either. Uh, and uh, that that mix on the table and the characterization and those sort of command decision things uh, does interest me. But uh, I'm uh, I'm a sucker for the uh, uh, for the, the the guys that lose really <laughs> these conflicts too. So. Um, although, although I'm uh, I'm fascinated with this column uh, action uh, column, it's it's not my main theatre. But I I do uh, by gathering these things and, and working with Colin on this uh, uh, this this what we call them show games here. I think you call them cons in the US. Uh, right. It should be a spectacular, uh, and I suppose it, it's going to be a spectacular. Uh, show showcase for for Collins and my and my stuff mm-hmm. but uh, you've also got everything that he's uh, that Collins described in terms of the the tabletop experience and then having gathered so much material uh we're set really to uh, I particularly want to explore some of the campaigns involving um, Jancy uh in, in the second half, more or less, it's a, it's a lost cause. I love lost causes, <laughs> and uh, try to make a, try to make a, a, a make a good fist of it on the table <laughs> against the odds. Uh, you, say, is, you know what? I gotta say, <laughs> you and I'll never let. Let's never go to a fight together. 
<laughs> hey, Ian's with us. Uh, we're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's a good excuse as well, actually, because you can blame so, so many, <laughs> so many things. So, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not a war game winner, but I. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you, I've lost everything. I think I've won once. <laughs> but it's fun, right? Yeah, yes, it is. Yes, uh, and uh, you know, there's a, a shrug. I develop a kind of a, a mess, a muscle memory shrug of shoulders, which uh, just says it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me let me ask you guys this: the object of the of this series, or whatever game you're playing, you have objectives X, X Y, and Z. Do you play a more historical piece, or do you use the the history and you use the figures to start? And then where they end up is where they end up. I think that's that, that last point is, 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 I think, Ian, is where we're maybe heading with our, with our collaboration. We've, we've set things up as, I think, hopefully historically accurate in terms of the column is moving towards Compo. But then we've done our um, what might have happened scenario around that. So we may have the, the basic forces um that are historically accurate but then we're going to let things take their their own course there was a there's an interesting development during the 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 campaign before moving towards compor that um major renault was sent on ahead by by neil um so he was he was dispatched with some with a smaller force and havelock um when he came up to allahabad um, with the rest of the forces, was then trying to catch him up. And there's a little bit of conflict there because Renault is told that Compor has fallen. Neil disbelieves the story and urges him to push on. And Renault himself has got this idea of trying to make some progress without Havelock's help. Havelock then orders him to stay where he is so that he can catch up. And the history is that, that Havelock and Renault come together just before the Battle of Fatipur. Havelock's catching up with Renault averts a, a major disaster. And it would have been quite a catastrophe because had Renault been defeated in isolation, um, the whole relief column would have, would have been questionable whether then Havelock could have carried on to Kompor. Um, As it happened, the, the two catch up and they, they're able to beat mutineers at Fatipur and then move on and there's some subsequent battles before they actually get to Kompor. But our scenario is that perhaps Renault has, has pushed on ahead um, more aggressively and therefore the, the, we've got a split command. We'll have somebody as Renault and somebody as Havelock. Renault won't be sure how far behind Havelock is, but he's got this goal of getting to Kompor He's no idea the forces he's facing. And then there's a third element, which is going to make it even more interesting because there was a Captain Spurgeon who was sent on with 100 Madras fusiliers by steamer and a couple of six-pounder guns. Now, he was held back historically so that he didn't get ahead of the, the column. But in our scenario, that steamer could very well get to uh, Kampur before the others do and bolster the defence and try and... Uh, help the, um, the the civilians there hang on until Renault gets there. So going back to your your point, it's 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 based in history. 
it, we might have a starting point that's historically accurate, but there the game thereafter will take its own course. I bring that up is because, you know, whether you're going to your show games or conventions, however, whatever the term is, you're always going to have those few people that are like, okay, this isn't, this isn't right. This, this isn't, this is not the way history goes. I think Ian's probably best place to, to answer that one because you've been involved previously at, uh, at these show games, Ian, where I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a novice in terms of what I've been there as a, as a, as a spectator, but not as a participant. Well, uh, yes, there are, there, you, you do get a few, but uh, uh, I, I used to teach uh, uh, in, uh, in high school, well, it's all my life really, high school, I was dealing with all sorts of uh, strange people, grown-ups and little people too, but uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you have to blag some of the time, you know, right. just to get, yeah. uh, and uh, it, I tend to, I, do, I blag, I'm very convincingly when it comes to tabletop. I think somebody was pointing out that my Battle of Minden gaiters were wrong on my six millimeter tall British infantry ones. And I, I thought, well, uh, you know, he, he uh, I'd done them white and uh, he felt they should be black. He was quite cross about it. Uh, so, uh, I, I, you know, uh, I think the thing to do in those instances is often say, oh, well, yes, but have you read this? Have you seen that? Because I think that regulation didn't come in until da -da 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 -da, uh, later in the year. So they were definitely in white at Minden. And usually they go off, you know, sort of OK. Uh, uh, we rarely have to use the middle finger. We just, uh, you know, you just go with the flow. We drink red wine usually while we're drinking as well. So we're quite mellow. No, no room for argument. My one of my first uh, hosted games that I hosted myself. It was a Gunga Din type of game. I had just got these great Raw Partha figures, did them all up, having a good time, sword in the flame, and there was one guy who had signed up for the game every single point, every single turn. Five thousand questions. Why does that happen? Where's that going? Why are we doing this? This isn't accurate. Like, oh my god, my first one. Don't do this to me. I ended up, I think I ended up closing the game up because I was so frustrated. <laughs> well, but uh, it is, it's uh, these conventions and those kind of games, you know, where people sign up or uh, they are microcosms of humanity, aren't they? And uh, uh -huh. there are all sorts of really weird stereotypes. I mean, well, you're talking like a face. <laughs> <laughs> well defined sample of that anyway doing the game uh, with the best intentions let alone the the other ones too but uh yeah well no we, we you know we, we're very tolerant and uh, we just uh you know we, we soak it all up we smile a lot and then we we black i think the red wine probably helps you well it's ha well it has helped us in the past that's for sure i mean it's got me into a few scrapes too but uh, i mean uh, in general terms it's uh, it's it's what we do i mean uh, We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Colin's not really partaken in the in the drinking yet, but we uh, we'll see how he feels uh, when we do this one next year. Oh, go ahead, Colin. I said I'm happy to give that a go. I think the key thing is is is, is collaborating with like-minded people because it's mm -hmm. one thing to have people who have a different perspective than you, um, mm -hmm. spectators. As long as you're working together with people who have come from the same values and goals um i think we want to just create something that's really nice to look at on the table right yeah. and the gaming aspect of it and who wins and what the outcome is 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 actually almost irrelevant it's right it's, it's about creating something that's really attractive to look at that, uh, that that will inspire people to maybe go away and give it a go themselves 
It's interesting. This uh, we've, it's not the first time we've done it, but it's probably better geared for doing it. The, the game that we are put this big show game that we're putting on, um, we are we're inviting people on the group that come to the show to play with us as well. So it's kind of a virtual arrangement because they're far geographically too far away to for us to regularly game with. And uh, I mean the last uh, the last show. Uh, game we did uh, it didn't quite get that that far but the, certainly people on the Facebook group were coming along and spent a lot of time it was great to catch up and meet people in the flesh and have see where you know what what's lighting their fires too yeah. uh, so yeah. we're, we're hoping that way to uh, I don't think it's self-indulgent I think we're it's just uh, providing a, a sort of space where we can we're like like as Colin says like-minded people can enjoy some the, the crack and a good game I think I got little pieces of this but you both ran a game at uh, was it partisan? Yes. Yeah. Now that just happened what uh, like two weekends ago, three weekends ago. Uh, yeah, it's not. Like, yeah, it's not like yes, that's not right. Yeah, it was Ian's game. I, I was there as a as a first opportunity I had to catch up with Ian, and it was uh, it was a pleasure to meet him. But I was just there as as, as a spectator, and uh, uh, and it was a wonderful wonderful table. I have to say. Oh, oh the pictures. I mean, the pictures are fantastic. You know, as again, I I hate you. <laughs> You know, it's like, man, I'm like, I need time to paint. I need time to do this because I can't. Oh, man, these guys are killing me with this. This is great stuff. You know, so it's just like I love seeing the pictures. Oh, God, um, thank you. For somebody who's new to this time period, if you could give like a quick like cliff note of the Indian mutiny of 1857. Yeah, that's 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 quite a challenge because it's quite a complex subject. You've got the Victorian values trying to, well, depending upon your, your viewpoint, subjugate a people or, 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 or help them uh, to develop. You've got that in the background. You've, you've got fabulous military characters who are trying to put their own spin on things. Um, you, you, you've got varying kinds of conflicts because you've got the, the siege that took part in Delhi in the early part of the war. You've, you've got the interest in the, 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 the officers um, of um, native infantry regiments, you know, believed wholeheartedly that their men would not mutiny. So with, within your game, if you're looking to game this, you've got this conflict that you've potentially got. Some of your forces may just go over to the other side at any point, which is going to leave you in a bit of a predicament. Um, so in that in that respect it's it's um it's a wonderful period in which 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 to game um you you essentially in that middle part of the 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 conflict you've got uh, uh the civilians in Kampur and Lucknow who are uh, trying to be relieved and held out for um for a long periods of time uh, so that that pulls on the heartstrings a little bit um, in terms of uh, you've got civilians involved, which we don't often see directly in in, in gaming, uh, you know, in our miniature games. Yeah, that's true. Um, and um, and then you've got all the mopping up afterwards when they when they eventually relieve uh, Lucknow. And the, the, the government forces, they, they, they committed a huge army in the end to overcome this, this mutiny. Um, 
so there's, there's many different aspects and many different elements. So you've got very small, very small actions, and then you've got huge sieges taking place. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, got, there's, there's much to recommend it. Do you think this could also lend its, uh, this particular conflict, lend itself to more skirmish games? Or is every game essentially kind of have to be, have that epic sort of uh, approach? I, I, I think there's, there's, there's room for both. And there's, there's, there's some wonderful examples of uh, small uh, forces holding out in, in individual buildings, um, actually within a conflict, within a battle. Um, uh, you know, you, you, you could gain the, um, the, the rifle the railway rifle company. These were volunteers who got together and held out in a um, a, a barrack that, that which hadn't been completed, um, and and just to read about their little story within within the compo uh, battle is is is, is wonderful reading. Um, there's lots of little actions taking place all over the places. Uh, because people are confused about what's going on and they've got their own plans and now they're going to hold out in their, in their little um, village or, 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 or dwelling. Um, uh, and then you've got the huge, huge sieges going on, such as Delhi, where there's you know, tens of uh, uh, thousands of, uh, of, of mutineers and, and uh, uh, many thousands of uh, uh, government forces um, ranged against them so yeah it, it's it, this this skirmish absolutely yeah no i think there was plenty of room for um something like um um anyone's king you know that that, that kind of uh, that kind of rule set yeah so anybody who who would want to start uh jumping into the indian mutiny you know they, they would just need a 20 30 figures each side yeah you know, yeah, to, absolutely. to be able to start. Rebels you know, and Redcoats are quite useful too for converting to, we're, we've been dabbling with muskets and tomahawks, you know, the second edition mm-hmm. uh, for Indian skirmish games. Uh, these stats from the supplements are very easy to mess with uh, uh, to get the kind of flavor you want. Um, uh, that, that's, that's gone quite well the last uh, couple of uh, weeks uh, at the clubhouse. Um, and, um, and again, they've got lots of little characterizations that, that work very well. Um, there's several rule writers on the group as well, actually, that do small, small actions. Um, but I think it's, it's a sum of its parts, really. And I mean, from, from skirmish to huge siege, mm-hmm. I, suppose, uh, I suppose the rationale is if you lose, uh, Britain loses uh, uh, the empire because India was basically the supreme cash cow, which, right. uh, which financed their empire. And uh, uh, if that goes, uh, it's a very different world. I think we'd uh, we'd be seeing today. I'm familiar, but not detailed familiar with the Indian Mutiny. So you would have units from the British East India Company. You'd have units from the regulars, uh, Britain, uh, British regulars. You have the sepoys and you have your mutineers. And then you have troops from each of the kingdoms inside India. Yeah. It, you know, and so you have basically four series of units uh, you can have conflicts between each other so you're looking at almost 16 different sort of conflict ideas yeah and, and that and i think that's a familiar theme in india from quite early on you know the various warring princes uh, uh, and their, their their sort of 
kingdom states, uh, did power grabs, formed alliances, treacherously betrayed another one, moved in, took over. Uh, and uh, a number of uh, people I know at, at my local club are, are gathering stuff for the what they're called Maharaja armies, you know, the, the sort of private uh, state armies, mm-hmm. uh, often with European officers, uh, which are all a feature of the mutiny as well, particularly later on, I think, in terms of where their loyalties uh, lie. But uh, uh, that that whole, uh, you, you know, the, the game that likes a bit of a fantasy twist it can basically form your own Maharaja army of any flavor stamp and stuff. Right. It can have ancient right. ancient weapons in it. It can have ancient uh, cavalry types uh, mixed in with a few uh, poorly trained uh, uh, sepoys, a bit like Nana's own army, for example. And uh, and uh, uh, pitch that against something similar, or indeed fall under a, <laughs> a hail of uh, of British regulars, <laughs> outnumbered, of course. But uh, so you, it's got uh, it's got everything really for it, really. And if anybody was looking to dabble with those superb figures that are available right. uh, from uh, from Empress now, they uh, you uh, you can't really go wrong, as you said. Uh, you, uh, small games that you mentioned, Fire and Sword, and the rest of it. Uh, uh, you know, 20, 30 figures start you off, and then I think uh, follow the bug, follow that, and look at all the figure manufacturers that are available these days for this period. Right, uh, campaign <laughs> creep. That's what I call it. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's what I've done. That's why my Silk Road project, uh, it started out like that. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go in Afghanistan a little bit. Oh, you know what? I got the Harats. I'll do a little unit there. Oh, you know what? The Persians, yeah. I'll do a it's little unit. It's a fantastic unit there. project, too, I must say. What's that? Your Silk Road project. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, I, I, I love it, and it's just it's unnerving because the more I the more I paint and the more I get into it, the 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 more ideas I come up with. Last year it was oh well, you know what? What about the Kashgaris? You know, you didn't do anything with the Kashgaris. It's like oh, do I really need another unit to add to this? Yes, you do. Well, it'd be rude not to. And now I'm like, well, you know, I, I have the Persians. Well, I better get some Turks because they could probably supplement the. Okay, so yes. now I got some Turks in there. It's like, ah, they're going brain brain buster. Um, yeah. The one thing I wanted to pick up on because I and this is this is brilliant, Colin. When you were talking about uh, these forces, yeah, th- there being a chance that the force you're with is going to turn on you and join the other side. How how do you game that? Where is how? What do you roll? You roll like a you got five, six-sided dice, and all of a sudden, it's like if everything's Yahtzee, guess what? They're turning. It's a, it's a good question. I'm not sure I've got the answer to that because my um, personally, up till now, I've been more a, 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 a painter and collector and terrain maker. Now, with this, through this collaboration, um, Ian has some thoughts and some colleagues who are going to help him with this. So I, I'm, if you like, I keep pestering people are giving them these wonderful ideas and think how do we replicate in a game the fact that the irregular cavalry at any point could just refuse to carry out an order right and and i would also like to see in the in the get a real flavor in the game of, of the fact that you, you you've got this issue that you've got a finite force and it's shrinking all the time through the the, the conflict but it's also shrinking because of heat stroke uh it, it's shrinking because of cholera and dysentery and you've you've then got to deal with the the decision making there. Do do I push on or do I say 
I can't actually achieve what I set out to achieve with the force as it is now. I need some more reserves. And that's where maybe the umpiring would have to come in and help and mm -hmm. say, we could actually give them a few more companies of Madras Fusiliers to, to help them out of that, uh, to help them. Out. And that's in reality what effectively happened and, and Havelock turned back a few times and he's bid to get through to look now um, until he got a few more, a, a few more reserves. So how you actually do that in terms of the game. And I, I think Ian, you, you've got people who, who I've been there a few times. <laughs> some of those, those ideas and get them into some kind of, into some rules, house rules. Yeah, well, I, we're, I'm a great believer in, in cards. We've used them for oh, decades uh, for uh, event cards. And uh, uh, a lot of the major rules have these sort of, you know, for command roll dice that uh, that you then, uh, it's an event, you look at the events, uh, and you can gear them up to an exploding wagon or walking on a snake, or you could, uh, you know, it's just as easy in a particular, this mutiny uh, game to... Um, uh, to talk about a refusal of orders or a, or, a, or an outright changing sides, and uh, um, it was I often just, that they, I they just imagine being in the game. You know, you're like, okay, I'm I'm almost there. I'm, my my objective is in sight, and all of a sudden, half my force just turns on me. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like a dice throw, doesn't it? Where where uh, up to three, they stick with you. Four and five is. <laughs> used to carry out the order and six is actually turning you there and then that could be uh, one way of working it you know and test uh, that every and test that every five minutes just to put somebody keep somebody on their toes oh man <laughs> you, you uh, definitely have to turn that into a drinking game <laughs> <laughs> well it's a bit it's effectively like that isn't it i mean uh, and the uh, and the opprobrium and uh, and uh, banter or negative banter that that would attract for your opponent taking half your side of course they'd have to live with that wouldn't they really i mean you know they, you know imagine getting home you know and your wife let's say you says so how was how was the show game it's like well it's like what what happened oh my troops turned on me yeah but you see, I might even see <laughs> But my, my muscle memory shrug shoulders thing, you see, is that's what that's made for. You know, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Are you using a certain rule set or are you using house rules? We use all sorts, really. I mean, uh, for, usually for show games where there's lots of figures and it's a good size, we've, we've, uh, we've used black powder uh, fair, with, with some modifications. We don't bother with the small print, but they can be very quick, maybe too quick in some regards. But... Um, uh, but it kind of works, and, and and it also means that people don't need to be too tuned into the rules and can come along and join in and pretty much know what's going on uh, after a turn. Uh, we uh, for smaller games, um, it, you know, which which rely more on individually based figures uh, for say skirmishes, uh, there are plenty of rule sets around there that might need some. Um, so there's a show we go to called Hammerhead, which is uh, which encourages participation. Uh, games and so they, the rules have to be fairly simple and straightforward and small enough to manage without falling out so uh, uh yeah so black powder i think at, certainly at the moment and uh, there's people people on our group uh, uh roger castle for example he uh, uh his him and his group have modified black powder particularly for sequels and so they will be they, you know they won't be a million miles away from what we want for mutiny in some respects so i'm going to have a look at those and there'll be some kind of broad brush 
amalgamation of those sorts of ideas. And then we'll lay in some cards, I would have thought, for uh, random treacherous developments or, uh, or an attack of dysentery, or, um, uh, which uh, you never want really on the battlefield. And, uh, uh, anywhere. <laughs> I can't think of one good thing that that's ever caused. <laughs> right. Uh, and this laid on with that, really. You both are working on a new game for another show game. Now, is that show game coming up? What's it? Uh, well, well uh, we've certainly got Indie Mutiny for the spring. And we've got, uh, uh, and just a little bit before that, there's another Hammerhead participation where we're doing George Thomas's Last Stand in, uh, uh, in uh, Haryana, uh, which is uh, about, it sort of pre-date serious Wellington in India by about three years and uh, uh, so uh, that's a kind of romantic end of a, uh, end of empire dreams uh, it's hard to imagine that this that Irish fellow that couldn't read or write uh, carved out an empire nearly as big as uh, the proto Sikh empire and uh, <laughs> but went the way of all flesh <laughs> on a turn, bad turn of the card really uh, so that that's on the ground but then I think later in the year uh, well, it, it's likely to be a different theatre altogether. Uh, I'm, I'm messing around with uh, with uh, Crete in the 1660s, uh, Ottomans and uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and Venetians. Uh, it should be big. It should be colourful. Well, I mean, you have you, the the figures that you've put on uh, your site there with the uh, the Turks or Ottomans. Th- th- those were the figures that you were probably going to use for Crete. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, it's always growing. I've, just, I've just sworn I will not, not buy anymore, but I've just broke. I'm painting some this week, and uh, so that 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 uh, <laughs> that that got short shrift. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, it's just 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 a weird theatre with lots of. Uh, uh, I mean, the French are there disguised as papists, which I don't really understand at all because you wouldn't. You know, it's not like you can disguise a Frenchman anywhere. I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> but, uh, especially. <laughs> Especially when there's a whole expeditionary force of them, and uh, mm-hmm. and then you've got the Venetians who don't like them, and uh, it's all it, it's 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 just it's just mad, rough and tumble. The three musketeers are there, for heaven's sakes, you know, why, why, you know, it's just it's just a boy's <laughs> own coming to life for me. Colin, what's up next for you? Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, it's quite interesting. I, I, I'm I, 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 as I alluded to earlier, I bought into this whole vision. Um, that Mike had with the Allahabad column and, 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 and the relief of Kampur, and he started to do some figures that would lend themselves nicely to going on, pushing on to look now. Mm-hmm. The range has now since been sold to Empress, and Paul Eagleston has assured us that it's in good hands and that he's going to continue to produce um, some of the uh, forces that were involved in the uh, the, the Lucknow siege. So we're looking at Ninth Lancers and, and uh, uh, the Gurkhas and um, s- some other units and maybe home service tunics. So um, I'm hoping that that kicks off and we we, we get to see some more uh, figures that we can maybe take the existing campaign and and, and move it on, um, you know, for a few months and and uh, the the approach to Lucknow and then of course. Whether I then get into doing more builds, um, look now residency so. that would be quite a challenge, but that would be something to enjoy, um, having a go at. And 
other than that, then you know my problem, as I'm sure is the same with Ian and, and, and most gamers, is that we're like butterflies. We we keep moving from different periods, and I, I'm interested in dabbling into uh, something in Africa in the Cape, but maybe not Zulus. Maybe looking at the Cape Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that that's again, it's driven by good quality figures uh, that are available, good sculpts. Right. Uh, that's what draws me, and I, and, and if I see that, I think, yeah, that's got potential, and I'll have a go at that. So, um, and, and Perry's do some lovely figures for the Cape Wars as well. So that might be an area I'm, I'm uh, looking into. Ian's doing some first Afghan war figures at the moment. That, that's a that's a lovely, lovely range. And that come over be... to the dark side, Colin. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Hey, that it's very cold. Guys, yeah. <laughs> let me tell, let me tell you, I saw those pictures. Okay. And I would, anybody listening right now, I, I, I challenge you to check out any of the war game, the war game Facebook groups where Ian has posted these pictures. And I swear to you, when I saw that, I got a chill, not, it wasn't a chill of like, Ooh, it was a chill of, I need a jacket. It looks cold, dead serious. It looks cold. Yeah, I mean that's that's great. That's great painting. That's but it looks cold. Like I I don't want to game it because I'm gonna have to wear a jacket and a hat. Uh, well, we didn't need a hip flask to keep us warm on Saturday, but uh, uh, the the British, of course, got roundly thrashed, uh, uh, and I was in charge again, I, as you can imagine. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, um, but uh, I mean, uh, it's a bit of a one trip pony that uh, that theatre maybe, but uh, I think. Uh, I think there's enough small scenarios to gain to gain some mm-hmm. interest, there. and uh, I go, would like to develop the the warmer side of that one for the uh, the the earlier part of the campaign. Say uh, again, it's very colourful. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. the Afghans mm-hmm. are uh, formidable uh, people, as you know. And, uh, so, uh, and I, don't, I quite like that sort of early mid Victoriana thing that uh, where they're, they're not quite sure what they're trying to dress their troops as <laughs> and then <laughs> and then it kind of calms down a bit mutiny wise but uh, right uh, but i'm hoping uh, that colin and i are going to collaborate at least on one big venture a year at the uh, at the shows in uh, in newark area with, with the figures that you use now empress you mentioned empress you meant iron duke Paris. is there any others that uh, you find that the sculpts are, are good and they, they, they match up every, with everything that you, you work with now? Uh, well, for me, yes. I, I mean, I like, uh, I like earlier stuff as well. So uh, I enjoy working with uh, Indus miniatures as well, which are homegrown in, in the States, aren't they? And uh, uh, I use a lot of those figures. Uh, there's some uh, nice figures uh, still in the foundry range, uh, but I quite like their darkest Africa Baluchis for uh, the kind of a go-to figure for uh, a lot of the, because uh, the Pathans were, uh, 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 they, they, they were the go-to soldier in North India anyway, whether they were uniformed or whether they were irregulars like that. Um, yeah, so, so uh, I would, yes, I would say all of those. Uh, I mean, it, uh, Empress and Duke have got, I've really cornered a, a market there, uh, Really, but uh, there are a lot. That, I mean, Eureka uh, miniatures for mm-hmm. uh, early Indian stuff. I, I don't think uh, I mean, they're my go-to place. Uh, you know, <laughs> they really are making some fantastic figures for that range. Well, it's a Golconda Rising uh, range, I think, which I don't think more is being added to it. But the Rajputs in there are just a die for. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, Colin? It's maybe not the answer you, you, you want, but I struggle to see past the, the Iron Duke figures, the, 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 the Empress figures. So I'm, I'm looking forward to more releases. Um, I'm, uh, you know, that's, that's, I, I think uh, there are other, there are other ranges, but I'm not, I'm not, I couldn't say that I'm that familiar with them. Is it AW? Um, uh, yeah, I've used a lot of AW for an earlier period, yes. Oh, and I, mu I mustn't forget studio miniatures as well. I, I enjoy yeah, a lot of their, using a lot of their figures uh, for, uh, and for me certainly, it'd be useful for Afghan War and sequels. So, do you do either you either find that if you if you venture out of your, I'll call it the comfort zone because I have my comfort zone myself. If you venture out your comfort zone, all of a sudden you find the scales, even though it's it's twenty eight mil, for instance, you find the scales not matching up, or the sculpts not matching up the way that you would hope. I haven't come across that problem so much because I've, I've restricted myself to the, the this, this one range. So mm -hmm. I haven't, but I have those kind of experiences with um, taking the American Civil War, for example. And um, what, what I've done to address that particular problem, uh, rather than mixing different manufacturers in the same unit, mm -hmm. I will create a unit maybe of um, Redoubt. Uh, figures, a unit of uh, Sash and Sabre, a unit of Old Glory, and that that what that sells to me is is, is these are, because they're unique in their own way and slightly different style. It's a bit like representing the different states. So right. these are the Georgians, these are my Alabamans, uh, these are my uh, forces from Virginia. So there's there's ways around it. Um, uh, but I, if it was too much of a clash, then I would just have to step away from it. I just you know, right. It's about. It's got to look right. I, I, I'm not comfortable with a hodgepodge of things that don't. That, you know, they ask. It's about. I, well, looks. you mentioned you mentioned Redoubt, and uh, you know, I, I'm I have really good figures, so I'm not gonna. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna under undercut them. But I, I spent uh, mo a lot of my figures are Foundry. You know, because mm. that yeah. that's where I started. That's where I know. I was looking at the an Indian line at Redoubt, and I was like, oh, you know what? This the, these gunners. Are, uh, they're beautiful. Let me grab them. So I did, and the the difference, you know, little people and giants. They live among us, <laughs> right? It's like wow. <laughs> so it kind of popped my eyes. I'm like, oh my, you know, it's almost like, and then I can't use them just from the fact that it's it it, it it's so comic. The difference is almost so comical. Well, no, Andy Grubb is 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 not really the time to recatalog that that particular range. There are some gorgeous figures in it, and uh, yeah. and some people on the group swear by them. You know, they they sort of almost game exclusively with. Uh, uh, with that range, uh, mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand for why, but I was puzzled lately. I thought, well, I, I needed a few figures for something to top up another range, which are AW are quite large, for example. I thought I'd mix and match those, but I was surprised how gracile, how dainty, really, some of the redoubt uh, from the in, you know the regular infantry is. So I think mm -hmm. even within uh, that particular Indian range, there's quite a bit of variation, and the, and the bases on some of them are really thick, and some are wafer thin. So uh, there's uh, there there's there's work to do to sort of normalise them, I think, into other units, or at least not look, as you say, like giants on the table. Right. Uh, but uh, they, there is 
there's something captured in that range which I, I do I am drawn to and I do like it and I've, I've had I've, I've had redoubt Indian armies in the in the past and uh, I've usually sold well, I think, them for I think it might be just they have a lot of animation to them you know there's a lot of action because you could have you could have uh, fairly stiff figures where it's okay they're marching a few of the redoubt uh, figures well at least the set I got it was a uh, three uh, three gunners uh, with these monster hats and um, <laughs> <laughs> and a uh and they'll and be, they'll a be <laughs> yeah probably it, it probably was and um and a, and a and a mortar and it's just a mortar you know and, yeah. and the 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 guy lighting the the fuse looked like he was lunging you know and it's just like it was very very animated so it was it, what drew me to take a look at him like wow you know what i got i got i gotta check these out it's uh well, I think if ever the cataloging work is done, a code and a description don't match the picture. You do need to see the picture, I think. Yeah. Whether yeah. it'll happen or not, I don't. Uh, I don't know. It's a shame because uh, there's uh, a lot of potential. I did ask one of the fellows that uh, really knows the range well if he'd uh, stick some pictures up of of his, you know, painted visions, you know, with the codes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it, I suppose it's like all these things, really. It's. Uh, I'm not sure there's a, a lot of payback <laughs> for, for, for actually doing that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, nice range. Jump off the subject just for a second. So, Colin, I'll start with you. How do you stay focused on your current project? <laughs> I'm not sure I do. Um, as Zane will testify, because I'm, I'm always putting up pictures. I'm just having a break from mutiny at the moment. I'm doing some uh, rebel guns, uh, some ACW rebel guns, or I'm doing something else. Um, I think that's where... Ian's Facebook group helps because somebody will put something on there and think, oh, that looks lovely. Oh, mm-hmm. why have I wasted the last two weeks doing World War Two? You know, I need right. to get my uh, Bengal white cavalry back on the table and start. To, and, and my table's just a complete mishmash of all sorts of things I'm working on at the moment. Even I've got some um, burrows and badges, you know, I'm painting a squirrel at the moment or something you know it's 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 crazy but i think that's what helps me rather than ever having to have a break from the hobby i'll flip from mutiny to another period and and it's that variety that keeps me motivated to keep keep painting Mm -hmm. um and getting closer as well to the end goal as well that's that's and having a show to to work to that's going to certainly focus the mind on what I need to do uh, and I need to push on and finish finish the figures um, that I've got on the table but you know largely seen other people's work on 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 the Facebook group as well and you think you know oh I'd love to uh, yeah must must paint that 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 regiment or that uh, that particular code mm-hmm. um, I might not have I might not have the elephant with the pulling the the heavy limber and it looks fantastic so I'm yeah, seeing the other images on the on on the Facebook group, that, that's what kind of keeps me focused. So, Ian, same question. Uh, well, I, I I don't work these days. I've given that up. I used to do a commission painting years ago, and I, so I can I could knock them out quite quickly, really, and and then look quite good. They're not as well painted as perhaps they used to be in my own stuff, but that's uh, that's just a function of age and speed, really. But like Colin says, the shows are a good uh, focal point. Actually, they do keep you uh, uh, fairly driven. That and my OCD, and um, I think uh, it, it, yeah, that, that's that's why I, you know I think if I've got a calendar date for a game, 
uh, it'll be there, uh, and uh, which I, I regret saying sometimes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> because, uh, but uh, I, I seem to be on top of it, and, and of course, because there are, we really only do about three shows a year. We worked out we've done a few other ones where you need to travel further and stuff, and uh, I it, so I, I it it depends. I'm not always. It sounds like a great idea to get out. You've got a bit more time, but it, it, it's it's quite hard work, and so mm -hmm. we focus on that three. And so I think for the next two or three years, um, not including the collaborations that I'm hoping Colin and I are going to do with the Indian themed one, one, and uh, we've mapped out forever. And uh, lockdown was a particularly uh, <laughs> good opportunity to get ahead. You were you. I have to tell you, I envied that lockdown. I was like thinking, man, America will <laughs> never do the lockdown. We Sometimes we're messed up here, but it's just like, come on, give us a lockdown. Give us a lockdown. <laughs> come on, come on. I got so much painting I got to do. And no, no. Yeah. No, I'm still yeah. doing, still doing the 50 hours a week. So. so oh like, God. Right. Yeah. That's uh, yes. Well, uh, yes. Well, well done. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, you know, I guess another question is just like, you know, uh, so, you know, I see all these and not not just both of yours but other other people put up great stuff on uh, on the site you know and yeah. you, you can you can tell even even those who are new to the uh new to gaming new to painting new to miniaturing and and you can see they're trying and it's like wow you know in two years this guy's going to be great you know it just keeps yeah. it up is that's that's the question where is the time time is the one element that we we can't do anything about so where is the time? You know, you know, Colin, where's your time? Ian, where's your time? Is it because of the lockdown uh, or is it because uh, where you are in your life now? Or is it just uh, you, you make time and everybody else can take a backseat? Well, I'm personally <laughs> quite, quite lucky in that I, I, I do like a split shift. Um, um, I work part time and, and I, I get the middle of the day off. So I'm usually pretty much to a couple of hours, maybe two, three hours a day, paint in the middle of the day, uh, and then I get a break from it. The other right. couple of things which I do that, that helps me uh, focus is, is um, I don't do a whole regiment at a time or a whole uh, battalion of figures. I've gone other days where I could sit down and paint 36 figures in a go. Mm -hmm. um, I do them in small groups of eight, and then I might mix, up a, mix them up a little bit. I might, might do some cavalry figures and then, or, or a couple of personality figures. And the other thing I do, I've got into quite good discipline of, of only buying more figures when I've painted what I've got. Now that might sound really crazy to... No, 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 I do the same thing. But I, I'll, I'll buy myself a, a unit of um, mutineers, I'll paint them and I'll resist buying any more until I finish painting them. And that kind of keeps me motivated. To, to get things finished and get things done. That, that, that's what helps me personally. And Ian? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't work anymore if I can help it. Uh, I wasn't enjoying it towards the end. And right. uh, I, I kind of I just uh, had a, a change of uh, change of plan. So it works out all right. I mean, I buy and sell a lot of stuff to sort of keep the hobby chugged over. So it's fairly cost neutral, really. Mm -hmm. But uh, in terms of time, time. So I, I, in theory, I've had the best of it, I think. Not just lockdown. I mean, just in terms of retirement. But right. I'm getting a flock of little grandchildren now. And um, it's sort of, uh, my wife doesn't work either now. So there are expectations there that I... Uh, I spend time with them and uh, yeah as it should be i mean it is fantastic really but 
uh, then I just work around that. And uh, I, it's, uh, it, is, it is a bit obsessive, but I, I, I like uh, Colin, I tend to do them in drafts of about, uh, it depends, 60 right. figures, is right. maybe conveyor belt, and then, uh, uh, and then roll through that. And then uh, uh, today's targets are, that it's a bit, it sounds a bit targety actually, doesn't it? But uh, it, they, it, they, they get done quick. Uh, so I right. stay focused that way. You know, I used to uh, I used to really be into 172nd plastics, and I had uh, World War II Army, which my wife is like, we don't have room for this, right? You know, mm-hmm. and I could sit down and do four or five regiments yeah. in a day, you know, and I had the cycle going, cycle going, cycle going. You know, you get your the muscle, the muscle, uh, the muscles are telling you this is the way it's going to be, and then finally I said, you know what, I, my eyes are starting to go, so I need to probably put a kibosh on this. I ended up selling everything and going right to 28 mil. It was bigger figures. Yeah. And then I, but I couldn't get out of the, I couldn't get out of the mentality of, okay, I, I, I don't have enough figures here. I need, I need 75 figures to be able to rock, rock through this stuff. And, uh, but Colin, I like, I like the, the idea of sitting down, you do four or five figures, eight figures, and, and you moved on. And then yeah. sooner or later, all of a sudden you have everything that you need. It's surprising how quickly it comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really has, um, for, for me, the mutiny range. It, it's to something something that I've got into late in life. It's now my, my biggest range of figures. I mean, I was into Napoleonics and World War II, English Civil War, American Civil War. But now my mutiny... Uh, collection is is the biggest collection I've got, and that's only happened in the last couple of years. And that's eight eight uh, just a few figures at a time. Yeah, yeah, just just buy buy uh, maybe 30, 30 figures um, from Empress, um, paint them up, do the same next month, month after that another thirty, and I'm just doing them ten at a time. And I, and when I finish them, and I'll I'll think, all right, well I might I might paint something else from another another period in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to mix it up a little bit, just keep me fresh. A palate um, cleanser. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's absolutely that's it. You, maybe you guys can answer this for me. So, how does how does the scale? Does the Iron Duke and the Empress? Does that uh, do, do they mix well with uh, a, a foundry or a Perry's? Yeah, the the, the the Iron Duke and, and, and Empress. Obviously, Empress have taken over the Iron Duke range and they. And Paul Hicks will continue to sculpt, as I understand it, for mm-hmm. for uh, for Empress. Yeah, they mix well with Perry's. No issues at all uh, with that. I can't think of anybody. You know, I've not really mixed them with anything else. Right. So, um, but but they they're, they're good scale wise. Yeah, good fit. I was looking for Persians for the my project, and I found uh, Black Husser. Yes. Okay. Because they are beautiful, beautiful they, thing really great figures right yeah i was so hesitant to pull the trigger because i'm like i don't know how these are going to work i don't know the sizes like i don't know how this is going to go i ended up doing the i ended up pulling the trigger anyway and it's not something you can like because it's coming from germany it's you got you gotta you gotta buy the set you gotta you gotta just go all in (laughs) i you're not gonna buy just one 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 set and hope it works out because well the the amount that you're paying for the uh, for the shipping and the vat is equal to the amount that you're paying for the. So it's like all right, so I did it, 
I was very, I was excited that it mixed very well with uh, the Perry's and the Foundry. It's uh, it's nerve wracking sometimes. I think. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did uh, a little um, side venture. I got into French Indian and Crantara. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful range of figures, beautiful figures, beautiful sculpts, but they're just slightly finer, slight more slender than say the, the Black Hazar. I had some French, I bought, uh, I, 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 like you, I, I was a bit nervous about going to Black Hazar, but you know, I Googled um, pictures of images, you know, how does this range compare with another? Mm-hmm. There's quite a few people putting pictures up there and I thought, I'll give it a go. They're beautiful figures, the Black Hazar figures. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, standing right next to a, a Krantara figure, it might not feel, it just works too well, but if you've got them in opposing forces, right. then it works fine. Gentlemen, I really appreciate you jumping on and having this uh, conversation with uh, uh, with me today and for the Shot and Shield listener, I really do. Thank you for having us. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a total pleasure. Thanks for having us. Well, you're good. You're going to get called again. I, I guarantee you, <laughs> you know, because the, the, the thing I like about uh, our, the, the community here is a, it's, it's just a very supportive community in other fields. You probably don't get, it's a little more competitive, whereas this is a, everybody's a very supportive of everyone else. Yeah, and I you can tell when one, one guy gets on online and says, Hey, look, I got a question about some rule set. 5,000 people jump on and it's not like, Hey, idiot, you know, you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing it wrong no it's like hey well, i've tried this hey have you tried this hey i've tried this hey this kind of works for me and uh you can always tell it's a, that's a that's pretty inclusive uh yeah that's uh, great that's great uh going forward uh, as uh as i continue to build the uh supercast here you know, doing roundtables like this so i will i will be tapping you both in the future i'm putting you on notice right now <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. There's another reason to get focused and get things finished. <laughs> right. I look forward to it. So in closing, uh, our roundtable today has been about Wargaming, uh, the Indian immunity, and uh, Wargaming in general, and uh, miniatures. Uh, and you have joined the uh, Shot and Shield Supercast, has been uh, Colin and Ian. Uh, and uh, if you're in their area, you have to plan a trip to any of the games that they're any of the show games, the conventions that they're going to be at, because you have to see these upfront and live. This is Shot and Shield. You don't think I too dream of peace. You don't think I too yearn to end this damn dirty job we call soldiering. Frankly, no. Shot and Shield is on social media. There's the Twitter page at Shot and Shield. Please follow. There's a Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. It's open to all. Please join and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, and creations. Finally, the email, shotandshield at gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like read and answered on the podcast. Shot and Shield is on social media. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. This is Shot and Shield.
Thank you for continuing to listen to Shot and Shield. And the Shot and Shield Supercast is brought to you by XPForge.com. This has been my source for 3D printed terrain and buildings. And as you know from other episodes or my pictures I have posted, I love to scratch build. But when I need some items for my buildings to just pop, I go to XPForge.com. I'm not allowed to carve styrofoam in my place. I got this apartment thing going on. So I picked up some really well detailed rocky outcrops from XPForge.com. I also picked up some really nice 28 millimeter camels for my colonial Russians. I'm scratch building a cavalry of Russian cameleers, and I found the perfect camels through XPForge.com. There's so many little detail things that I picked up from XPForge to help my Central Asian project just go pow, that I'm really excited that I found XPForge.com. They're sponsored today's Supercast. Don't think that uh, they're doing this just out of kindness or heart. I asked them. I said, look, I love you guys. Can you help me out here? Let's do this. Tim said, absolutely. Because I was a fan of these guys before they sponsored the show. I got the receipts. I'll show them. Right now, XPForge.com has these uh, 28 millimeter Napoleonic figures. Tim at XPForge is absolutely killing me right now because I have this other project I'm working on. And I see these figures and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> they look good. They look good. So you have to check it out. XPForge.com. Just great 3D printing, great prices. And for you, the Shot and Shield listener, 15% off through December 31st. Use the coupon code SHOT15 for 15% off your order. That's the coupon code SHOT15 to save 15%. Go now. Check it out. XPForge.com. Germany calling. London calling. Moscow calling. Washington, D.C. calling. Peking calling. Sydney calling. Message for you, sir. It's time to answer some emails from all around the world. So let me hit up some emails and DMs I received from you since last episode. If I don't get to your email, don't freak because I probably already answered you directly. So I did receive several comments and emails over my chat with Bob Merch from last episode. Mostly good. I did get a couple of emails that asked me if I was nervous. <laughs> and you know what? I, I was and I wasn't. I was, a I was a little nervous because it was the first time I was using Zoom for audio and, and video. And I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out mechanically or digitally, right? So I was concerned about the audio levels, you know, and the video light and all that, because I do have the video and I have the video from the talk I had with uh, Colin and Ian earlier. And eventually I'll have that on the YouTube page. But it was uh, it was a little unnerving uh, using Zoom for the first time, because like I said, I, I didn't know if I was going to, you know, how it was going to turn out. And, uh, you know, there was another reason I was a little nervous also. And that was uh, the last real on air interview I did was in like 2007. Now, in between 1993 and 2007, I must have interviewed on radio. I must have interviewed several hundreds of politicians and movie stars and athletes and, and writers and musicians. So I was pretty, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in the, in, in the interview phase. But like I said, I mean, you're, you're talking 14 years since my last real on-air interview. So I wasn't sure how I was going to do that or if I was going to mess up or, or anything like that. So... And I stumbled a bit, but Bob, Bob Merch is such a nice person. Seriously, you know what? I can't, I couldn't, I can't think of a nicer guy to, to have a conversation with than Bob after not doing an interview for 14 years. <laughs> you know, serious, he's a seriously kind man and a great storyteller. So it made it a little easier for me. So I thank him very much. And, um, uh, and I thank you for the, uh, for the love on the interview. So I really do. But yeah, I was a little bit nervous. 
All right, so today we got uh, got a few emails and a DM I want to get to. <clears throat> so let's uh, start with the first one. The first one is from Jerry in Toronto, Canada. And he writes, Sir Scott. <laughs> Thank you for the sir. I appreciate it. I saw pictures of a few of your test games. Did you really paint your Indian Sikhs with pink tunics? Was that a camera trick? Am I mistaken? If not, why would you do that? Okay, look, by the way, I, I knew I was going to answer this email and I put the picture of my uh, pink Indian Sikhs on the Facebook group, okay? When I was a kid, my mom would keep my brother and I home from school on occasion and we would stay up all night and watch old movies. One of the movies um, that uh, I saw was The Charge of the Light Brigade, but they had colorized it. And so my first, it, my first impression of Indian Sikhs were that they were pink because the colorization was so bad. And so, <laughs> so and then you're looking at being on a small screen because we had a little small screen TV, maybe 10 inch. And my brother and I would sleep on the floor. My mom would be sleeping in her bed and we'd be watching these little old movies during Big Wilson's Night Owl movies on Channel 33 in Miami. So when I got my first batch of Indian soldiers from ESCI, the plastic company, right? So 172nd scale. Even though the cover of the box had them in khaki, I made them pink because that's what I thought traditionally it was supposed to be because, <laughs> because the movie said so. Obviously, that isn't right. It should have been red, but it looked pink on the small screen and in that colorization. So that's why I did it. Then when I got the really nice batch of of Indian Sikhs from Wargame Foundry, I was, I was looking at them and I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'm going to paint them pink. And I went for it. And they turned out okay. I liked them. I have since, that picture's old, I have since cleaned them up and they're, they're in, my, in my pile that I'm going to repaint in a, different, in a different form. So, But that's why I did them pink. So Jerry in Toronto, Canada, I hope that answers your question. All right. Next, uh, next email here I got from uh, Parker in Brisbane, Australia. And he writes, Scott, when you open your show, you mention cities around the world. And in the last bonus episode, you mentioned my town. How did you know I listened? Is that a fluke? Do all the places, do all those places have people that have listened to you? How do you know? So that, let me tell you something. So Parker, uh, let me tell you something. That's a good, that's a good question. That is, because I start rolling out the, uh, the different places around the world, and you're probably thinking to yourself, really, do they really listen? And the answer is yes, they really do listen. The company that hosts this program is called Captivate. And one of the things I like about this company, Captivate, is that, and by the way, they're not an advertiser. I actually pay them, but their analytics are really, really good. They don't tell me what person listens to the program. They, they say, Hey, look, you have three listeners in Ireland, or you have three listeners in Russia, or you have three listeners in Brisbane, Australia. You got seven listeners in California, you know? And so it'll tell you where everybody's listening. They won't tell you who's listening, but where they're listening. And so like, I like to include that in the opening and closing of every show that I do, because I think it brings us all closer together. And that's why I do it. So Parker in Brisbane, Australia, keep listening because I know you do. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for your email. Now I have a DM question from Sean, who is a new friend of ours on the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group on Facebook. 
And he asks, Scott, have you ever considered fighting your Russians against British interventionists or a version of the Mounties? Purely speculative fiction. And Sean, I have not thought about that, uh, doing the Russians against British interventionists, like in Canada or something like that, or against the Mounties. I did ask a question on one of the other uh, gaming groups that I think we're all a part of, right? And the question was, Mounties versus the indigenous peoples of Canada. Is that considered colonial, a colonial war game? I was just asking that question. I, I, was, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of open up some conversation about it because I've been thinking about jumping in the Mounties, doing some Mountie stuff. I'm not a huge pulp guy when it comes to gaming, but, but I wanted to see if there was uh, any response or maybe anything historical or even maybe something imagination-wise that you could do with the Mounties versus the indigenous peoples of Canada. And the question is obviously yes, because if it's an imagination type of war game, then you could do whatever you want. But there's nothing, there's nothing purely historical about it. I will say Russians against British interventionists during the colonial period, that might be kind of interesting. But all the Russians that I have, most of them are in summer dress. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to spend a lot more money getting them all in winter dress, I can tell you right now. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, Sean, thank you very much for your, uh, your DM. All right, so let's bust out one more. Uh, final email today is from Andy in Atlanta, Georgia. And he writes, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. I like listening when it comes out. Your podcast focuses on 19th century, but if you had to choose something different, what would you play? You can't say something that you've already played. Ha. <laughs> All right, Andy. Uh, let me tell you something. Here's the deal. I am fascinated with weird and odd theaters of action. That's just the way I am, okay? Uh, I could tell you that if I weren't playing Colonial, I wasn't playing 19th century, and I had to venture out and I couldn't stay in the 19th century, uh, the Angolan Civil War in the 70s, for some reason that just, uh, you know, I mean, I was alive, and I'm watching, watching you know, news pieces of it on TV and not really comprehending what's really going on, but I have to tell you, when you got Cubans, Russians, uh, American operatives, South Africa, Angolans, you know, all in the mix, that, that creates a lot of great skirmish action. And it's interesting. Uh, swashbucklers and pirates, I, you know, I, I love Errol Flynn. He's like my boy. And every time I, I could put an Errol Flynn movie on right now and swashbuckling time. So I think I'd probably jump at that. Uh, I like uh, there's a World War II kind of pre-World War II or World War II game that I li would like to play I, in Syria, in Lebanon, between the British and the French. I think that would be really, really fun to game. And it would be skirmish level, which that's where my head is lately. And lastly, I think I might try Ancients. Yes, yes. But here's the thing. Assyria, the Assyrian city-states like Ur, Sumer, Uruk, having city-state battles, that seems like it could be pretty fun. Because you don't, they're city states. It's not like you're gonna need five thousand troops. These are city states, or small, small, small city states. So you can probably get away with a couple hundred figures, and your end is on. But there you go. Uh, so Andy in Atlanta, thank you very much for your question. I hope that answers it for you. <laughs> Once again, you can hit me up on the email shotshield at gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like uh, read and answered on the podcast. Still ahead. Let's reveal the results of the top five question. And I have a movie scene watch along with you. That's next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Oh, damn. 
From the land of the audio to the world of the visual, the Shot and Shield podcast is on YouTube. I use YouTube for supplementary information, such as watch-along videos, documentaries of interest, movies that I find that uh, best represent colonial or 19th century inspirations or gaming, and eventually video from interviews that I've uh, already done and that you've heard on the podcast. Just search out, in parentheses, Shot and Shield. You got to put the parentheses in there, parentheses, Shot and Shield, and parentheses, and you'll find it on the YouTube. There's also a link on the podcast info page. So check it out and subscribe to Shot and Shield on YouTube. Hey, what the blazes is this? A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. All right, Marines. Nice punch. This is Shot and Shield. And shield. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast. I am your host, Sir Scott, of the Duchy of Florida. It's time now to reveal the top five best last stands as voted on by you through the polls that I put up on the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming group on Facebook and the two polls I put up on Twitter at Shot and Shield. Great responses from all of you. Thank you. And let's look at the results. Here we go. Number five, the last stand of the 44th foot. Number four, the little bighorn. Number three, the Alamo. Number two, Khartoum. And number one, like this was this was not going to be in doubt. Number one, Rourke's Drift. I, I shouldn't have been surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised. But anyway, keep listening for more information about the new top five. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I decided to take one of these and do a watch along with you. After I tabulated the top five, I randomly chose one of these to roll with to do a watch along. And that ended up being the Alamo. But which version, right? Because you got the 1960s version with John Wayne and Richard Widmark. We have the 2004 version with Dennis Quaid and Billy Bob Thornton. There's the last command version from 1955 with Sterling Hayden and Arthur Honeycutt, or you got the Disney special Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier from 1955 with Fess Parker and Fess Parker. Let me tell you this right now. The best Davy Crockett. I don't even want to, I'm not even going to put this on a list. The best Davy Crockett is Fess Parker. No top five. No, this guy, this guy, this guy. No, it's Fess Parker. I'm telling you, and you're going to listen to me. So regardless, I did find this really good video to use, and I'm going to go with the 1960s classic, The Alamo with John Wayne and Richard Widmark in the final battle scene. So here's what you need to do. Go to the Shot and Shield YouTube page and look for the December Supercast playlist. It's titled Battle of the Alamo, Mexican Army Invades Republic of Texas. Now, after the ad, I'll start it at the five-second mark, okay? So I'm going to give you a second to get that together. Here, what you do, put this on pause, get it set up, and then hit start again, all right? All right, so we're about ready to begin. And hopefully you have it on the, uh, the YouTube page. You go to the YouTube page, the Shot and Shield podcast uh, YouTube page. Please subscribe. Just subscribe because this is, we're going to do this a lot, all right? And the video you should have up is the Battle of the Alamo, Mexican Army Invade Republic of Texas. You got it on zero. 
It uh, shows nine minutes, 16 seconds long. And on the count of three, we're all going to hit play together. Okay? One, two, play. All right. So what's happening here is obviously all of the, uh, the Mexican armies all gathered together to really wipe out the Alamo, right? I want you to take notice. Take notice of the troops. This, this, is, this is why I picked this episode, uh, this version of, uh, of the Alamo, because it is, it's vast. It looks big and dangerous. You got, I think it's uh, fusiliers are in white or light infantry. I think you got regulars in blue, and I believe that the grenadiers are in red. And they're going to have some pictures of that coming up here in just a second. Right now, everybody's looking pretty dour in the Alamo because it's like all hell's about to break loose, and they're coming after them. Got the flag there. John Wayne looking furtive next to... uh, I can't remember the actor's name who played the commander of uh, the forces of the Alamo, the forces of uh, the Republic of Texas. Because Richard Widmark as, uh, as Bowie and John Wayne as Davy Crockett, they were the volunteers, right? So in there in the white, I think those are fusiliers. They look like fusiliers to me. I could be wrong. You got Santa Ana. He's coming up with his, like, guard. His Imperial Guard. That's what I'm going to call those guys, Imperial Guard troops. Even though their helmets are more Dragoon-like. But then, you know, yeah, it looks like he has uh, an entourage of just several several different uh, styles of troops with him as he climbs to a, a, a spot where he can watch the action. John Wayne coming over. Hey, guys. It's all good. They got nothing. They really did a nice job in uh, this. This movie's actually really, really good, in my opinion. So those guys right there, the skirmishers, they look a little ratty. I think they're probably like riflemen. All right, here we go. You know, started off with the... I'm I'm thinking I'm calling that light artillery because it looks it looks like light al- artillery to me. So the light blue, I'm calling them regulars. The red and the white. The white I'm calling fusiliers or light infantry. And the red, I think they're grenadiers. If somebody knows, please uh email me or comment about it in the uh, Facebook group. But yeah, the battle's commencing. Everybody's, oh man. You know, I got to tell you if, you, if I were sitting in the Alamo, I don't know how you'd feel, but man, I'd, I'd be battling, but man, I'd be scared. So the riflemen up front there, the, the skirmishers, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm saying they're riflemen. Sharpshooters, right? I could be wrong. But yeah, this, there's, the Alamo's going to start taking a pounding now. Yep, so everybody's charging in now. You see what I'm saying? The reason I call them light infantry is they're up front. 
And now the the guys, the boys in blue there, the regulars are in there. The um, the long brimmed hats on the uh, soldiers or the cavalrymen. I'm thinking that they're they're probably hussars. That's my that's my instinct. I could be, like I, like I said, I could be wrong with this. There's there's somebody listening to this podcast right now who has just a a vast knowledge of the Mexican army and they're probably, I'm probably totally wrong about the whole thing. But that's what it looks like to me. So the gun emplacement there wasn't strapped together. <laughs> See, now we got uh, with the helmets, I'm calling them dra- uh, dragoons because if they were lancers, they'd have the lances. So I'm calling them dragoons. But I don't think dragoons would charge like that either, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they kind of like head off to the side and start firing? Probably, probably those guys are probably more light infantry, just maybe a different type of unit. So if you notice, you got the, the boys in white and the boys in khaki driving up first. Again, followed by the guys in blue. And then uh, here comes the Dragoons, or at least like I said, I'm calling them Dragoons, coming over the, uh, the hedge there, or the bar- uh, barricade. And more of the light, cal- uh, light, uh, light artillery. And here comes, here comes the onslaught here. They're coming in. They're, they've breached the wall. And some of those grenadiers. The reason I call them grenadiers, too, is if you look at they have these pouches next to them. And um, I think they carry grenades. That's my, that's my impression. So everybody's making a run for it. Anybody who games this, I, I hope you go on to the Shot and Shield uh, podcast wargaming uh, group on Facebook and please join. See, now here's a guy, he got a, a light guy, a guy in light blue throwing the grenades. So maybe I'm, I'm probably wrong. Yeah, if anybody, anybody games the Mexican army, please get on our Facebook group and, and comment and, and give us some, give us some help uh, understanding uh, this. Because it's a fascinating, a fascinating, uh, a fascinating group uh, to use, uh, to game, I mean. Got the barricade, and now it's kind of deteriorated into a all-out, an all-out go. This is wipe these guys out, and so it's uh, everybody's the the unit. Uh, okay, so this is where this, <laughs> so this is where this video ends, and now the next video uh, starts. And this is this right here is the 2004 version of the Alamo with Dennis Quaid and Billy Bob Thornton. Can I tell you something? The reason I, I picked this is because can, you can tell the difference. Look at this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, you, see the fir- you see the 1960s version, and it looks like a battle. It looks like they're really, really, really in trouble. And you have all the colors, and you got all the, all the people and everything. And you, and you watch this one. Look at how tepid this looks. I'm sorry. 
I mean, that's Santa Ana's force right there. This is the final battle of the Alamo. You know, you have the, the boys in the dark blue. And I, you know what? That may be historically accurate. I don't know. I'm not an expert on, on the Mexican army, but let me tell you something. It doesn't, it looks like they can hold them off with no problem. It looks like they're doing a pretty good job. And this is supposed to be the final battle. You know, it just doesn't look, it just doesn't look right. You know what I'm saying? So please watch this. And, uh, you know, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. But I just, uh, I see the, the 1960s version of the Alamo, and this right here is just, it's kind of lame. It's very, very lame. Like I said, correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, so there you go. That's it for the, uh, I need to shut that down there. That's it for, <laughs> that's it for the watch along. I hope, I hope uh, you, you saw some stuff that you really liked, especially, I, you know, look, I'm a painter and a war gamer. I love to paint. And so when I see the 1960s version of the Alamo and I know about our game and I love the 19th century to war game in and I love painting and I love the colonial era to game and I love painting it and I see the Mexican army and I think to myself, you know, I could do up a bunch, a bunch of those guys and I have the light blue and the dark blue and the, and the khaki and the white and the, the dragoons and the lancers and the, and the hussars all in different colors and everything. I'd be like, hell yeah, let me add it. But then the next one is like, whatever. The, uh, the 2004 version with Billy Bob Thornton and Dennis Quaid, that didn't excite me to, to play the game. But that first one, the 1960s uh, version of the Alamo with uh, Widmark and Wayne, I don't know. That's good stuff right there. I look at it and I, I think to myself, yeah, I, I love the game that. That's the watch along today for this episode of the Shot and Shield Supercast. Remember, information about the new top five is uh, coming up just ahead, as well as Scenario Builder and my audio archaeological find. That's next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Good luck against those elephants. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. It's time for a new top five question. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. So my past questions have been, what was the best French Foreign Legion film? And what was the best Last Stand? Well, in my new survey, I'm asking you to go all bravo. I'm asking you to say yes to the dress, to take a survey on military fashion, specifically the pith helmet. Or you could call it the foreign service helmet. I want to know which country wore it better. Which military force looked the best wearing the pith helmet? Was it the British, the Dutch, the German Marines, the French Foreign Legion, or maybe the Italian army in Ethiopia? So I guess instead of say yes to the dress, it's don't plead fifth on the pith. Oh my, take the survey. I'm gonna pin it to Twitter and in the Facebook group. So get your vote in today and hear the results in the next Shot and Shield Supercast. On Twitter, at Shot and Shield, and in the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. 
let your voice be heard. This is Shot and Shield. It's going to hurt you a lot more than it will me, I'm happy to say. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming. Discipline makes the strength of armies. Shot and Shield. Thank you for continuing to listen to Shot and Shield, the Supercast, as you listen on your favorite podcast app. And before I break into uh, today's episode of Scenario Builder, I would like to take a moment and congratulate Mark Coolidge. Yeah! Come on, the winner of my 12 28mm British Grenadier Guard giveaway from last episode. Random drawing, pulled Mark's name out, notified him. All I got to do is get to the post office, and they are on their way. Now, as far as more giveaways go, oh, I got some more giveaways for you. That's coming up in the future. Maybe in the next bonus episode in a few weeks, maybe sooner, hmm, perhaps, hmm. All right. Anyway, let's do this. It's time for Scenario Builder. Time to get pencil and paper ready. Get out your notebook. Get out your pen. Get out your pencil. Sharpen it. Be ready. It's time for... Scenario Builder. Building better worlds. In this episode's Scenario Builder, I started thinking about insurgencies and the Decemberists. You know, because it's December, I started thinking about it. The title of this episode's Scenario Builder is called The Anarchist. So here's the deal. Your regulars are given the task of dislodging a group of anarchists held up in a town center. And once again, I build these scenarios using the rule set, the men who would be kings. Here's what you're given. The regulars, you're given 40 points to build your forces. No cannons allowed. Your force has to be at least 50% infantry. The anarchist, you're given 20 figures. Doesn't matter what kind of figs you use. Each fig is equipped with a short range weapon. They count as non-regular infantry, no cavalry, no cannons. The objective, dislodge, displace, or eliminate the anarchists before they blow up the town center. Morale. Regulars must roll morale after each encounter, whereas the anarchists never, ever roll morale. They're ready to die. They will not run. The anarchists do have to roll five six-sided dice every morale phase. If the anarchist player rolls five fives, then the town center blows up, game over. Five fives, Yahtzee, boom. That town center goes up in flames, game is done. In combat, the anarchists are horrible shots. Each individual shooting must roll a six for a hit and another three or above for a kill. In defense, the anarchists are considered in hard cover. The regulars, they're simply grounded by the rules of the game. And just like that, that's it. I'll post these to uh, the Facebook group and pin it to make it easier for you to find. This uh, scenario was called The Anarchist on today's Scenario Builder. Still ahead, the audio archaeologist, Dr. Phineas J. Scott, digs up an audio gem for you. It's next on the Shot and Shield Supercast. This is Shot and Shield. I hear that conditions in your army are appalling. Well, I'm sorry, but those are my conditions, and you'll just have to accept them. Shot and Shield is on social media. There's the Twitter page, at Shot and Shield. Please follow. 
there is a Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. It's open to all. Please join and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, and creations. Finally, the email, shotandshield at gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like read and answered on the podcast. Shot and Shield is on social media. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. This is Shot and Shield. Thank you for continuing to listen to the Shot and Shield Supercast. I am your audio archaeologist, Dr. Phineas J. Scott, and I love to dig up audio gems that I found in my search for the truth. Or maybe not. I have a gem for you today. It's, it's, it's very, very cool. It's an old-time radio series called Escape. It was a popular radio anthology series. <laughs> I'm going to quote here. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Right? That was its boast. The voice acting is really, really good, and the stories were usually cut from literature or shorter versions of popular movies, and I found this, like, sweet treat while digging around. A 30-minute piece from Kipling uh, from 1947, The Man Who Would Be King. Ha <laughs> That got you, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I know, I know, I know, I know what you like. I'm going to hit play, we're going to give it a listen, and I'll have some thoughts afterwards. <laughs> into the world of adventure. Time to forget for the next half hour the four walls of today and escape beyond the horizons of the mind to yesterday and tomorrow. CBS and its affiliated stations present Escape. Tonight we escape with Rudyard Kipling and the two gentle scoundrels he created in his immortal story The Man Who Would Be King. The time... Sometime before yesterday, the place, the north of India, the man who tells the story, Rudyard Kipling. One Saturday night, it was my unpleasant duty to put the paper to bed alone. It was a pitchy black night, as stifling as night can be in India in June. It was very still, save for the ticking of the clock above my desk, which seemed to shatter the black heat of the night as the hands crept toward 3 a.m. And then from the passage outside my door, I heard voices. And it must be here. Open the door. Who's there? Only us. Who are you? Oh, he don't remember us, Dan. <laughs> that he don't. How could he forget having us turn back at the Jodhpur border? Told the authorities we was impersonating newspaper reporters, he did. Wait. That flaming red beard and that bald head. Why, well, you're Daniel Dravitt and Peachy Carnahan. The same. Well, what do you want? If it's money, I haven't any. If it's a fight, it's simply too 
beastly hot. You can rest yourself easy, sir, because we've come asking for naught except some information. We've been all over this country, and we've concluded that India isn't big enough for such as Daniel and me. So we're going away to be kings. Kings in our own divine right. What? Aye, we shall be kings. We've signed a solemn contract. Each to help the other, and neither of us to take a look at liquor or women until we become kings. Why, I've never heard of such a fantastic idea. But what is it you want of me? Naught but to look at such maps of Kafiristan as you might have about. Maps of Kafiristan? That's where we've decided to go. But don't you realize that not one single Englishman has ever gone into the Kafiristan mountains and lived to come out again? If you're really mad enough to go there... You're a good deal more likely to become dead men than kings. We shall see. Anyway, I don't believe you have the slightest intention of traveling a mile outside of Delhi. Then you should come down to the Serai Marketplace in the morning, down where the caravans leave for the north. Yes, come down to the Serai in the morning and see then if we be liars. You should not laugh at him, Saib. The witless are under the protection of Allah. Quite so, boy. Who is the fellow anyway? A mad priest, Saib, who has arrived only this morning from Ajmer. Ah, yes, Saib. Come to look at my camels, loaded with toys to please the eye of an Amir. Oh, here now. Go about your business. I haven't any use for toys. These are wondrous toys indeed, Saib. Fit for a king of Kafiristan. What? Good Lord. Daniel Dravet. Come along. I've two camels just beyond the wall here. The blessings of Pir Khan on the gracious Sahib, who consents to look at the poor toys of a priest from Ajmer. Over this way. Where's Carnahan? Here we are. Permit me to present my servant, Hazir Mir Khan. At your service, good man. Well, I'll be... <laughs> Do you like our disguises? Do they pass? If they fool this crowd in the Serai, they're probably good enough to get you across the border and good enough to get you killed. Getting killed is no part of the contract Peachy and me drawed up. Although perhaps killing fits in with our plans in a different sense. Feel around underneath the toys there in the camel bags. What? Go ahead. Good Lord. Rifles. Twenty brand new martinis with ammunition to match. And twenty good reasons to make your death certain. Any Pathan of the hill tribes would kill his own mother to get a rifle. Now, who would harm a poor mad priest, Sahib? <laughs> Allah protects me. Mad is right. Then so was Lord Clive and Rhodes and Bonaparte. Drive out the camels, Peachy. We've a long way to go before we become kings. As I stood and listened to the camel bells fade away in the distance, I wondered... Wondered if it might not be a glorious thing to go to Kafiristan and be a king. Three years pass in India, much as they pass in any other land. It grows hot, then the rains come, and then the heat again. Some colonel at a hill station puts down an uprising. A new viceroy comes out from London and the paper duly records the death of a sultan in Rajputana, and the trees in the courtyard grow a few feet taller. 
Finally, time in its circle turned up another night, much like the one three years before. Once again, I sat alone in the office, listening to the clock and waiting for some unimportant item to come over the wire from Europe. It was long after midnight when my office door slowly opened. I say, look here, you, you might knock first, you know. Good Lord, man. What's wrong? I... Uh, you don't know who I am, do you? No. No, I haven't the faintest idea. Uh, but here, you'd better sit down, old fellow. You're in a bad way. Yes. Thank you. It's a whole year I've been walking. Right here in this very office we settled it. You sitting right there and giving us the maps. <laughs> you, you've been sitting there ever since. Three years. No. Oh, no. Why, a man couldn't change that much in three years. You're not Peachy Carnahan. Yes. I was king of Kafiristan. Me and Daniel Dravid, real crown kings we was, just as true as gospel. What in the name of heaven have they done to you, Peachy? Peachy? I, uh, I knew Peachy Carnahan once. He's a king, wears a real golden crown on his head. Help me, he does. He's dead now, though. No, no, no. You're, you're Peachy Carnahan. You must pull yourself together, man. Yes. Pull myself. You, you've got to keep looking into my eyes. Then maybe everything will go to pieces. All right. Now, tell me what happened, Peachy. We left the caravan of Jagdala. We struck off into the hills alone. Go on. Weeks it was we traveled, Daniel and me. First there wasn't no roads, and after a while, no food. But there was always the drums. Sometimes they was close, and sometimes farther off. But most of the time we could hear them somewhere. No place to be stopping up with you. I'm fearing it's no use, Daniel. What's got into them? The poor beasts are done in and starved, same as ourselves. They'll go no further. Then we'll go on without them. I've not come this far to die on the side of a mountain. Wait. Look, Daniel. Over the edge of the rocks. What? Oh, men they are. There'll be a score or more of them. One goes ahead of the rest. And naught but bows and arrows. Break out a pair of the rifles, Peachy. Right you are, Daniel. It's now that we start to become kings. Here, here, and some cartridges too. Easy now, Peachy. I'll drop the straggler at the rear first, and then we'll lay a few at their feet. No arm to the one in front. We may need him. Now. <laughs> by the old neck. They are Peachy. Hold up, Daniel. Look at them. I 
flat on their blooming faces. The leader is come out alone. Well and good, and we'll go part way to meet him, Peachy, but keep your rifle by. Look at him, Daniel. He be as fair as us, with yellow hair. So he does. Part of the lost tribes, these people are. He stopped. Oh, the Lord, Harry. Peachy, we're in luck. It's the old Afghan tongue he speaks. Speak up. Who are you and whence do you come? I am High Priest and the chief of the village of Bashkai. A journey of only a few heartbeats. This Bashkai, how many people? They are numbered in the thousands. There are more villages in the hills? More than a man has fingers and toes. Hear that, Peachy? Here's our kingdom made to order. And you, you're going to take us to Bashkai. Do you understand? I understand the voice of thunder that you speak. Oh, he's a smooth one, Peachy. He knows a thing or two. <laughs> What's your name? Mazur Khan Jagdalur. That's too long. What shall we call him, Peachy? He has a look about him of an old soldier and friend of ours. Billy Fish. So he does. We bestow a new name on you. From now on, you will be Billy Fish. As you command, I obey. All right. Put this on your drums. Tell them two kings have come out from the mountaintops. Two kings that speak in words of thunder so the earth trembles. Tell them two kings have come to Kafiristan. <laughs> Daniel, why be you sitting here in the dark? I've been thinking. A man has to stop and think sometimes. About anything special, Daniel? Look at them, Peachy. Look at their blinking campfires a-gleaming in the dark like the jewels in a crown. Aye, Daniel. You've done a fine job for sure. All 23 villages you joined together as one. Tis the army you trained to be thanked for it. Two thousand men with a fair knowledge of bearing arms. Some's a bit green at it yet. They're ours now, every man, jack, woman, and child. We own them, body and soul. Aye, we're kings now, Daniel. Not proper kings yet, but we will be. Sooner than you think, Peachy. How's that? Billy Fish told me something today that fair amazed me. These people know the craft. You mean they're Freemasons, Daniel? It ain't no wise possible. So help me, it's gospel true. He give me the grip and everything. It's old, the craft is older than the memory of man. And up here in the hills, they've been preserving it all these years. Why, some of the high priests know up through the fellow craft. But they don't know the third degree. See it, Peachy? They don't know the third degree. But we do. Daniel, what is it you're fixing to do? Do? We're going to be proper kings. We're going to get them... Going and coming now. I'm going to turn the whole country into one grand lodge, raise some of the priests to third degree, and for me, I'll be the Grand Master of Kafiristan. Oh, but you ain't got the right to. We never been officers in no lodge. Right. What's a king got to do with asking for a right? Oh, I'm against it, Daniel. It's no good to go fooling around with the craft. Ah, you talk like an old woman. The thing will work. I know it will. We'll make it a blooming ceremony. Regular aprons with the symbol and the marks. All of us, Peachy. The kings of Kafiristan.
headmaster. And the priests and the people wait. Well, they don't have to wait much longer, Billy. Here now, Peachy. How do you like my apron? It's a wondrous sight for fair, Daniel. Made of white ermine skin, it is. And the master's mark with emerald studded. The mark? You know the meaning of the mark? That I do. What's got into you, Billy? Not. But tis a thing that's passing strange, master. Strange and rubbish. Come along now. Ready, Peachy? Right with you, Daniel. Then out we go. Onto the temple steps. We'll give them what for. Knock their blinking eyes out. That's what we'll do. Look at them, Peachy! Right down on their blooming knees and yelling their full heads off. Oh, did I put thing to be a king, Daniel? Mark! Behold! The mark! This is a sign! The promised ones have come! Here now. What's wrong with the priest, Billy? It looks like trouble, Daniel. No. Stand where you are, master. They recognize the mark. That great stone in the floor. Why do they turn it over? Wait. It's the same! He burns the mark! The promised mark! God! Speak up, Billy Fish. What's the meaning of it? See for yourself. Look, Daniel... Carved on the back of the stone. It is the master's mark, all right. And the same as the sign you wear. Only a few of the priests have known of the hidden mark on the stone. What does it mean? The many who have doubted you were a god. Doubt no longer. And you, Billy? What do you think? I, master. I think that now it is the time for these. Daniel! Golden crowns! Aye, how they glitter. Fit for the brow of a king. Tis what we came for. Here now, put them on. We'll crown ourselves in our own right. Listen to them. You know something, Peachy? We come here to be kings and that we are all right. But blamed if we ain't a couple of blooming gods to boot with a million people bowing on their knees before us. Well enough, Peachy. So it was gods you became as well as kings. But then, what happened? What became of Daniel Dravot? Dravot? I knew Daniel Dravot once. He's a king now, Daniel is. Where's a golden crown? Carnahan was with him. Peachy, try to pull yourself together. I, I'll try. Now. You became kings, you and Daniel. Kings of all Kafiristan. He was a fine figure, Daniel was. With his red head wearing that golden crown. Kept himself aloof from the people, so to speak. And when he walked up all the temple, the fair crawled on their stomachs to worship him. But what happened, man? Happened? Well, I figure mostly it was winter coming on. The winds were starting up, and the clouds was blowing down from the north. Oh, it could blow beastly cold, that winter wind.
Hey? Who's out there? That you, Billy? Confound it anyway. Here now. What's this? I have brought you food, master. Stew of the wire sheep with curry and rice. Up off your knees, girl. Bring it inside. Thank you, master. Uh, place it there. Hmm. Now, you're a well-favored wench. I do not understand. Why were you crawling on your knees? Is a fitting way to approach the god of Kafiristan. What's your name, girl? Maruma Fenja. Maruma? You married? It, it has not yet been my happy fortune, master. Are you afraid of me? You are a god. I mean, how do I seem to you? Do you find me pleasing or, or what? Your face more wondrous than the noonday sun. And your look, the look of eagles. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, very well, you may leave now. Thank you, Master. Hmm. Narrow, eh? Peachy! Peachy! Is you calling me, Daniel? Oh, the food's here, eh? Good. Mark that wind outside. Winter's about due to strike and fill the trails with snow. There'll be little moving about before spring. Right you are. Peachy, I've decided to take a wife. But you can't do it, Daniel. We made a contract. That was till we was kings. Well, kings we've been many months now. Oh, but it's no good. I tell you now, I, I'm against you. Against it? You was against using the craft too. But look what it done for us. Oh, but this is different. Billy Fish will tell you no, too. The same as I do. Billy Fish, huh? Who's the king here, him or me? My mind's made up. Three days from now, I shall have me a wife. And you can put it on the drums and tell every blighter out there in the hills. The kingdom of Kafiristan is going to have a queen. her, Peachy. They should have brought her in here half an hour ago. I don't know, Daniel. How about you, Billy Fish? You put them up to stalling off deliberate-like? Certain preparations must be made, Master. She's across the court with some of the priests. Maybe they're trying to hearten her up a bit, Daniel. She thinks she's going to die, you know. Die, indeed. Why, I'm only... Master, it is against the laws of heaven for a woman to marry a god. I'm not a god. I'm a man. You know that by now, Billy. No. And I should not want to think so, Master. But either way, this can mean only trouble. I beg you to reconsider. And I beg you to shut up, Billy. I'm through waiting. I'm going over there. Master, please. We've got to go with him, Billy. And I'm thinking it's going to mean trouble. How many men can you defend, depend on? No more than 20 with rifles. Most of my men are in Bashkai. Then what shall we do? We shall have to make a run for it, I fear. We might be safe in Bashkai. Come on now, you fucking fool. Bring out the girl. Well, now, that's better. 
Here, girl, this is no way for a bride to behave. A smile now. And give us a kiss. Oh! The wench has bitten me. Bloodbuster, don't let them see the blood. Look! See the blood! It's not a god or a devil, but only a man! What is this? Rock still in the street. Mark Daniel, you're coming with knives. They can't do this. I'm the king. You've got to run for it, Buster. Come on, Daniel, come on. I'll come back. I'll come back and beat their blasted heads in. That's what I'll do. Oh, Daniel. We'll be back all right. How much further, Billy? Oh, only a short way beyond this ridge, Master. Well, so far, so good. Ah, last them blooming drums are stopped. We're at the top, Daniel. Right good climb it's been. Oh, wait. Look. It seems the drums have come before us, Master. Cut off. No less than a thousand of them standing there quiet-like, with them wicked long knives in their hands. There'll be no getting past them, Daniel. No. We are done for. Go back, Billy Fish, and take your men away with you. Go with him, Peachy. It's me they want. I did it. Me, the king. No, Dan. I'm sticking with you. Billy Fish, you clear out. I am your friend. I stay with you. You're a good man, Billy. Maybe coming now, Daniel. Peachy. Forget it, Daniel. I forgive you freely and fully. Then let them come. There'll be one thing they can't change, Peachy. We've been kings. Kings in our own right. Kings of all Kapuistan. Poor Billy Fish, like a blooming herring they did. There in the snow and the rocks. Good Lord, man. But you, Peachy, you got away from them. Like nowhere did I get away from them. They had us for fair, all right. Struck me out on a tree. Drove nails right through my hands, they did. See? But I've pulled them all right. Because morning came, I wasn't no wise dead. And then I made them think I'd lost my senses. <laughs> I was afraid to harm me because I was protected by Allah. They cut me down then, and after a while... Let me go. You poor devil. But what of Dravet? What happened to Daniel? Dan- Daniel's the king. He wears the golden crown. But now, what happened to him? He's never left me. 
All them long months walking on the road back, it kept me safe. The mountains, they danced at night. But Daniel held up his hand and Peachy came along, bent double. I never let go of Daniel's hand. Not Daniel's hand that they gave me in the temple as a present. It's with me now, here, in this bundle. You knew old Daniels, him that was a monarch once. Look at him now. have seen that we was really kings. I'll be on the way. You'll, you'll pardon me, sir? I let him go. There was little else to do. He was only hours away from his death. I sat there and stared at the bundle he had left lying on my desk. Stared as the pale shafts of dawn struck fire in the red beard. Stared at the golden crown, sitting too large and heavy upon the wrinkled, mummified head of Daniel Dravot the man who would be king. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight's story, Rudyard Kipling's The Man Who Would Be King, was adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield and featured Raymond Lawrence as Peachy, Eric Snowden as Daniel Dravitt, and Herbert Rawlinson as Kipling. Musical effects were created and conducted by Cy Fewer. And that was The Man Who Would Be King from Kipling. Personally, I think that the producers at Escape during this time did a really good job. Uh, doing audio plays and stuff like that is actually quite difficult because you've got to have the actors, but you also have to have the sound effects, the production elements, the background, ambient music, the sound, mu uh, the, the footsteps, the little noises that help the story just feel real and move along. And that was today's audio archaeological find from Dr. Phineas J. Scott. Coming up, we're going to wrap it up on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Good luck against those elephants. From the land of the audio to the world of the visual, the Shot and Shield podcast is on YouTube. I use YouTube for supplementary information, such as watch-along videos, 
documentaries of interest, movies that I find that uh, best represent colonial or 19th century inspirations or gaming, and eventually video from interviews that I've uh, already done and that you've heard on the podcast. Just search out, in parentheses, Shot and Shield. You got to put the parentheses in there, parentheses, Shot and Shield, and parentheses, and you'll find it on the YouTube. There's also a link on the podcast info page. So check it out and subscribe to Shot and Shield on YouTube. This is Shot and Shield. It's going to hurt you a lot more than it will me, I'm happy to say. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. Discipline makes the strength of armies. Shot and Shield. Stop bullying and shouting at the lower orders. Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout, and shout again. This is Shot and Shield. So to wrap it up, remember, this episode of the Shot and Shield Supercast has been brought to you by XPForge.com, my source for 3D printed terrain buildings and now 28mm Napoleonic figures and military vehicles. Don't forget, the Shot and Shield listener, you 15% 15% off through December 31st. Here's the coupon code SHOT15. S H O T 15 for 15% off your order. That's the coupon code SHOT15 to save 15%. Go now, check it out, xpforge.com. And I'd like to thank you for listening in Belgrade, Serbia, Castle Rock, Colorado, Christchurch, New Zealand, and all around the world. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast the podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. I have been the Lord Scott of Florida saying thank you. I'm out. A British tar is a soaring soul as free as a mountain bird. His energetic fist should be ready to resist a dictatorial word. His nose should pant and his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame and his brow should furl. His bosom should heave and his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity. 13!